start, I started to sing a little line, but I, I know. Church family, good evening. Good evening. So good to see you as you make your way in, finding some seats. Just a joy to be with you on a good Friday service. Here's my goal for us tonight. My, my goal for us tonight is to settle us. I know it's been a crazy week. For some of you, it's been a crazy day, and you kind of blew in here on, uh, on two wheels this evening. Uh, my hope for us tonight, though, is to steady our hearts, uh, to draw kind of our hearts and our minds into a place where we are able to gaze upon the cross of Christ, where we are able to see the goodness and the beauty of this day, where we are reminded in every song that we sing, in the scriptures that are read, the sermon that is preached, and the observance of the Lord's Supper, where we are reminded to set our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, uh, to understand the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and to let our hearts marinate in that at the beginning of this weekend as we anticipate coming together again on Sunday and celebrating again the glorious resurrection and all that is true for us because of who Christ is and what he has done. Let me pray for us and we'll get started together in worship this evening. Lord God, we thank you for the gathering of your people, Lord, on this evening a special and unique time in the life of the church. God, as we join with the saints across the world, really, God, to make much of a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. God, where we come on a particular night such as this to remind ourselves of the goodness of this day. God, where we come to remind ourselves of both the horror and the beauty of this Friday. God, as we contemplate the heinousness of the cross and our sin that made the cross necessary. But Father, as we gaze in wonder at that cross and find there on our behalf the spotless, sinless Lamb of God standing between you and the wrath that was reserved for us, drinking the cup completely dry so that there would not be even a single dreg of wrath or punishment for us. God, there is a wonder and a mystery in the cross. So God, we want to gaze upon it, behold its beauty, find our life in that cross. Particularly, O oh God, in Christ, who died for us there. So God, as we sing, as we hear our hearts and our minds reminded of that day, Father, may it be that we turn our hearts, our minds, and the praise of our lips, God, God, to give you blessing and honor and glory 
and might. For God, you are certainly worthy. We ask and we pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.
So I'll be reading from Isaiah 53 if you would like to follow along. He who believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was cursed, crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Please pray with me. Father God, I thank you, Lord. God, this... This scripture was inspired hundreds of years before the incarnation, hundreds of years before the life of Christ, and hundreds of years before this day, where the culmination of this promise is is seen. This whole chapter is fulfilled in bit and piece on this day 2,000 years ago, of how Christ the, sovereign, the, the servant, your servant, your perfect and pure right servant who came and who suffered. Who was beaten, who was tortured, who was condemned. Falsely, 
for sins that were not his own, but for the many, for the wicked, for those who have rejected and despised him, for those who have transgressed, for those who are full of iniquities like me and like us. So Father, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much, Lord, for your gift of grace in your Son, that by his stripes we are healed, by his suffering, by your will to crush your Son, we are freed. That your judgment was extinguished in Christ, such that your people, oh, your people, your people are in union with you, in harmony with you because of what you have done. We are free and forgiven because of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of this prophecy, for the clarity of, of just how this just screams about your son. Of all that he did. And the abundant love and grace that we see on the cross. The judgment for sure. But over and above the grace and mercy that you would give your son to save us. Because you love what you have made. And you love your people. And you want them to know you and be forgiven. Thank you for your grace. Lord, I ask that God this evening, this time together, Lord that, Father, you would be glorified. You would be known clearly and seen clearly in your word. That, God, you, Lord, would be high, Lord Jesus, you would be high and lifted up. You would draw us all unto you. In that name, in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Church family, let's stand as we continue in worship. The Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch His treasure And how great the pain of searing loss the Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory
would you take God's Word again and join me in John's Gospel, chapter 19. Remain standing, if you can, for the reading of God's Word. John, chapter 19, starting in verse 16. John, chapter 19, verse 16. So we then handed Him over to be crucified. They took Jesus... Therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the Scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Church family, would you be seated As we pray together in response to the Word of God, I want to read for us a prayer from the Valley of Vision, a book of Puritan prayers that have ministered to countless saints throughout the ages. This prayer is entitled, The Precious Blood. Blessed Lord Jesus, before Thy cross I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin, my iniquity that caused Thee to be made a curse the evil that excites the severity of divine wrath. Show me the enormity of my guilt by the crown of thorns, the pierced hands and feet, the bruised body, the dying cries. Thy blood is the blood of incarnate God. It's worth infinite. It's value beyond all thought. Infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. Sin is my malady, my monster, my foe, my viper, born in my birth, alive in my life, 
It is strong in my character, dominating my faculties, following me as a shadow, intermingling with my every thought, my chain that holds me captive in the empire of my soul. Sinner that I am, why should the sun give me light? The air supply breath. The earth bear my tread. Its fruits nourish me. Its creatures subserve my ends. Yet thy compassions yearn over me. Thy heart hastens to my rescue. Thy love endured my curse. Thy mercy bore my deserved stripes. Let me walk humbly in the lowest depths of humiliation, bathed in thy blood, tender of conscience, triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. Father, God, as we behold the rugged cross, Father, as we fix our eyes on our Savior who died there, God, what a glorious salvation is ours. What compassion, what mercy and grace, what great love that You have given us that we should be called the children of God and such we are. God, continue to make much of Your name and of Your Son, by the power of the Spirit tonight. We pray it in His name. Amen. Amen. Church family, let's stand as we continue in worship.
Father, you are good. God, you are so gracious. Lord, what a gift that we did not deserve. Nothing we've done, nothing we ever will do will be worthy of such a gift. And yet, you freely gave it. Understanding what it meant, you drank the cup. You died for us. Lord, let us not forget that. Let us not take that for granted. But God, help us understand the weight that that holds. That it is our only hope for salvation. Our only chance. The only way we can be saved. The only way we can have relationship with you again is because you made a way. So Lord, thank you. God, as Pastor David comes to bring this message, Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Father, thank you for today. See in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Church family, let me invite you again to take God's Word and join me this evening in the book of Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, just a couple of verses, verses 13 and 14. Galatians chapter 3. Verses 13 and 14, Paul writes this epistle to settle this one singular reality that we are made right with God, not through the works of the law, but by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the theme of Galatians. So often it is the theme of all of Paul's writings, but particularly here in Galatians chapter 3, Paul's writing in the midst of confusion to say, hey, church, do not forget and do not be, uh, do not drift away from this central reality that we are made right with God, not through our works, but through the work of Christ on the cross, by God's grace applying that to us and giving us the gift of faith to believe in that. Turn back to chapter 1. Watch Paul, early in this epistle, start making this point. Galatians 1, look down to verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Chapter 2, watch the argument continue, verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles, nevertheless... Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, watch it, since 
by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And then, chapter 3, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. So then, does He who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Church family, at the heart of the Gospel, at the heart of what we are, we are remembering and celebrating tonight lies this singular, most important question. Every single person on the planet that has ever lived must answer this question, and there is only one right answer. How are we made right with God? How are we made right with God? At the very heart of the answer to this question is this glorious and beautiful doctrine upon which the gospel and the very church is built, the doctrine of justification by faith in Christ. That we are made right with God. Legally, we go from guilty to innocent in God's sight by faith in Christ. And as Paul is explaining this glorious reality, look down now to the text, verses 13 and 14. The argument comes here to a crescendo. The wave crashes upon the rock here in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Church, I want us to ask three questions tonight. Three questions. Before we come to the Lord's Supper together, before we wrap up our evening, three questions about Jesus work on the cross question number one what did Jesus do what on the cross did Jesus do verse 13 here's what he did Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law simple question a very clear answer what did he do Christ redeemed us us, meaning the church, God's people, the redeemed Christians. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. What does it mean that we are redeemed? What does that word mean? What is this idea of redemption that we see throughout the Gospels and at the very heart of Good Friday? The word redeemed is one of the most important aspects of the cross of Christ. 
It's pointing us to the reality that as Jesus hangs upon the cross, as His blood is spilled upon the cross, as He dies upon the cross, He is doing what? He is saving His people from their sins. He is doing what He came to do. Remember way back in Matthew 1, you shall call His name Jesus. Why? For He will save His people from their sins. He goes to the cross now and begins that work of redeeming us. And in redemption, church, a transaction is being made. A transaction, by the way, that I'll just be honest with you, it doesn't matter how many times you read about the gospel, it doesn't matter how many times you read about the cross, this transaction makes no sense. It makes no human, logical sense. Sense, But on the cross, as Jesus is dying there, a transaction is being made and accomplished. Because the word redeem, it means to buy or to purchase back. It means to buy or to purchase out of. When Jesus goes to the cross... He goes there to make a purchase and the currency to make this purchase is His own precious blood. On the cross, Jesus is paying the penalty to save and to free us. Why? Because we, in our before Christ state, we are in bondage and slavery to sin, church. Hey, listen, sin is not just a little mess up along the way. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a lapse in judgment. It is an offense against God and His holy law, which as we'll see in a moment, renders us under the curse and to this purpose at the beginning of verse 13, places us in absolute bondage and captivity to that sin. Sin is our master that so easily entangles us. Jesus would say in John chapter 8, verse 34, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. For we once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. In redemption though, Jesus comes. He goes into the slave market of sin, if you will, He sheds His own blood. He pays the ransom price and purchases us, His bride, for Himself. And so then we rejoice with Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Or in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Look back in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us. Specifically, what is Paul's language in verse 13? From what were we redeemed? From the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? The curse of the law is the just and right punishment because of our disobedience to God and His holy law. The curse of the law is the just consequence and penalty of sin, which is what? It's death. So think all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 with me. Do not eat from that tree. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. In the day that you disobey me, the consequence of that will be death. And then the story continues into Genesis chapter 3. What happens? God comes as the holy and righteous judge and all things, all people, all creation, everything is now under the what? It is under the curse due to disobedience. Where God intended blessing Everything now resides under the dark pallor of the curse. Death. Wrath. Judgment. Because of disobedience. Look back up into verse 10 of chapter 3. For as many as are of the works of the law, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. To be under the curse of the law is to be guilty. To be children of wrath. It is to be separated from God. But on the cross, Jesus does what? He redeems us from the curse of the law. And as Paul continues to expand this, we'll see the beauty of this unfold before us. But church, for a moment, reflect on and meditate upon the reality of sin. It was my sin that held Him there until it was accomplished, we sang earlier. Meditate upon the reality of sin. It's not just a slip up. It's not just you you choose to live a different way maybe from other people. It is disobedience. It renders us cursed of God. Dead in our trespasses and sins. And church, I would remind you that dead people, they do nothing. They do nothing. They cannot even save themselves. 
He redeemed us. How? How did Christ redeem us? That's the second question that we're asking tonight. How did Christ redeem us? Look in verse 13. Having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. While on the cross, dying, redeeming and shedding His blood, Jesus accomplishes this redemption by specifically having become a curse for us. This doesn't mean that Jesus sinned and became a curse. No, while Jesus goes to the cross, He remains sinless. And on the cross, He is both sinless and bearing the curse. How? How can that be? We read earlier from Isaiah 53 in verse 6, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. If you're in Christ tonight, church, do not forget the heinousness of this day that it is your sin that was placed upon Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. And here's that transaction. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I told you it doesn't make any sense. It's beyond logic. It's beyond human understanding. How heinous indeed is our sin that it would demand such a price. Our sin upon Christ. And so when Jesus goes to the cross for us, church, He goes to stand in our place. On the cross, Jesus is my representative. Your substitute. He is our substitutionary, our penal, suffering the punishment of God. Substitute in my place, atonement, payment for sin. At Calvary, Jesus stands between God's divine wrath and us so that the full measure of holy justice against our sin, upon whom does it fall? Not on you, saints. It falls upon Christ. Jesus, the Blessed One, goes to the cross for the cursed ones. And on the cross, the Blessed One becomes the cursed one so that the cursed ones would become the Blessed Ones. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by His wounds you were healed. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The end of verse 13 says. Paul's quoting here from Deuteronomy 21-23. Here's what's going on. After the Jewish people of antiquity, after they would stone someone for the most severe of penalties, 
that would warrant such a death, they would then, in a shocking exercise, they would hang the dead body on a tree. Doing so to show to everyone among the people of God the effects of what sin does. To show that one has been punished as a lawbreaker. The person's body who hangs on that tree as a display that they are cursed of God. They are not cursed because they hang on a tree. They hang on a tree because they're cursed. Jesus, when He goes to the cross and accomplishes our redemption, He does it by becoming the curse for us. It's not the cross that makes Jesus accursed. It's my sin. It's my sin that makes Jesus, the blessed one, accursed of God. But then thirdly, what is the result of this redemption? What's the result? Verse 14, why does he do it? In order that, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. In Christ Jesus. Maybe the most important prepositional phrase in the Bible. In Christ Jesus. The only way to receive the blessings that we see in verse 14, the only way to receive that is to come to faith in Christ Jesus. If you lived a thousand lifetimes, oh friend, you would never get it right. If we got a thousand lifetimes on this earth, we would never fulfill the law of God. Are you in Christ Jesus tonight? We're not asking, are you at a Good Friday service? We are asking, are you in Christ Jesus? Have you turned from your sins? Have you come to faith in Him? Have you stopped working your way to heaven and have now trusted in Christ's work in His alone? For in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What is the blessing of of Abraham. You remember back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God comes to Abraham. What does he tell him? Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How is that possible? Abraham lived a long time, but Abraham died. Abraham's son Isaac lived a long time, but he died. How is it that in you, Abraham, and now thousands of years later, this language of the blessing of Abraham, how does it come? How are all the families of the earth blessed in Abraham? Beloved, it's because Abraham's greater son was not Isaac. Abraham's greater son was Jesus Christ. And in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes. Salvation. Being the covenant people of God. Having the promise of a better day and a better land in which God will walk and dwell with us. 
so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles finally so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is the promise of the Spirit? Very simply, that all those who come to faith in Christ Jesus, all those who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. On the day that you called upon the name of the Lord, dear saint, you were saved. The promise of the Spirit is that by God's grace to you, you will receive the kind and gracious gift of the indwelling presence of the Spirit. You receive the help and the comfort of the Spirit. The eternal seal of the Spirit and the Spirit's testimony to your Spirit that you are the child of God. Do you have, again, do you have that promise of the Spirit within you? Martin Luther said, you have become, speaking to Christ, you have become that you have become what you were not, so that I might become what I was not. You, Christ, have become the cursed one. Separated from God's good presence. In that moment at high noon on Jesus' crucifixion day, the sky grows oddly, strangely dark. Why? Why? It's because the ancient blessing of God to His people was held from Christ in that moment. What is that blessing? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. The light of God's countenance is turned away from the sun. And so He dies in darkness as the curse. Church, praise God for Christ. For He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. Father, oh God, we do not deserve this. Father, we do not merit this. Father, do no sin becomes sin on our behalf. 
Father, we come now in response to such grace to take into our hands the bread, the cup, as a visible representation and reminder of what it cost to secure our redemption. God, as we continue to worship in this, God, continue to glorify Your Son. Glorify Your name in us, O God. we do these things in remembrance of you. We pray it in Christ's great name. Amen. Amen. Church family, as our elders and deacons begin to make their way forward to distribute elements of the Lord's Supper tonight, we asked earlier, the text asked us earlier, are you in Christ Jesus? The Lord's Supper has been given to the people of God, those that He redeemed by His blood. We are so thankful that all of you are here tonight, but if you are not in Christ Jesus, or you're not sure if you're in Christ Jesus, I want to ask you to do me a favor. I want to ask you to let these plates pass you by, because the Bible warns that if we are not in Christ, or if we take this in an unworthy manner, that we eat and drink further condemnation unto ourselves. We love you enough to warn you about receiving that in an unworthy manner. Church, it doesn't matter how many times you've received this. It doesn't matter how many times you've come to this moment. There is nothing more beautiful, there is nothing more sacred or holy than to bear into our hands a visible reminder of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Let's continue in worship as we observe this together. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is My body. Father, as we take into our hands representation of the crucified body of Christ, God, we're remembering that we were children of wrath with judgment rightly due unto us. But Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. In His name we pray it. Amen.
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Father, we are reminded in this moment that we were those under the curse. Father, we were those that deserved punishment, wrath, eternal hell. But by the blood of the Lamb, first shown to us in Exodus, with the blood over the doorpost, so that the death angel would pass over. Father, now, this blood applied to our hearts, so that on the day of judgment, we will be found in Christ. And God, once again, by your grace and the blood of the Lamb, you will pass over us. God, to receive us as your children. Only because and through Christ we pray. Amen.
And in the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Father, in light of such a glorious redemption, in light of such great gospel news, Father, we are those who must make this known. God, as much as we just sort of marinate in it tonight and and we think in our own hearts and minds about these things, oh God, remind us that just outside the walls of this building, there is a lost and dying world, a crooked and perverse generation. Those who are under the curse. God, give us eyes to see. Hearts to desire. God, wills that just want to make the blessing of Christ known as far as the curse is found. God, as we celebrate again in song, God, as we lift our voices God, as we declare great gospel truth together. Father, may heaven resound with the praises of your people that you have redeemed through your Son. We pray this in his name. Amen. Church family, let's stand.
Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. Along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Church family, I'll see you Sunday.